Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Now, now we'll go back on the, on the record, so to speak, put the, the recording on. That's not on the internet for you, so I'll, I've saved you from that infamy at the very least. You want to keep, yeah. Zach, get out of here! <laughs> anyway, look, we all have goals for our children, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I, frankly, if we didn't have goals for our kids and in our parenting, uh, it would be somewhat strange that we didn't have some level of goal setting in our lives. And, and the goals we have for our children, whether we set those as active goals or passive goals, they have a whole lot to do with the heart. And we've been talking all about how parenting is a task of shepherding our child's heart. And that's what we're about today. But before we unpack that, of course, we have to go back and seek out some wisdom from Google, as we've been doing every week this in this class. What we might learn from about goals in our children from a basic internet search. And I'll first point out that if you Google this, like uh, children and goals, the, the auto-suggest from Google will be entirely about school. And like every grade, goals for my children in first grade, in second grade, in third grade. I kid you not, like all the suggested things are about school. There's more to setting goals than just what happens in a school year, I'll point out. But I found that to be kind of fascinating. I found one list that had eight goals in parenting. And I'll save you from the, the tripe that was listed under each one. I just want to read you off the list of goals in parenting. Number one, connect more as a family. Number two, I'm going to come back last because it's so good. Number three, focus on your family values. Number four, become consistent with rules and consequences. These are, these are pretty good. Uh, number five, get your kids to listen to you more often. Yeah, I suppose that should be a goal of our parenting. Number seven, I'm skipping six, instill more responsibility in your kids and do less for them. That sounds a little lazy, but okay. Uh, have less screen time in your house. That's a great goal to have as well. Okay, here's the two I'll come back to. I skipped before. Number six, I skipped. It says, recharge and focus on self-care without mom guilt. Okay. Uh, in my favorite one of the entire list, I can't believe they put this on number two. They just buried the lead. The goal is, I'm reading this entirely, and it has an exclamation point at the end to get the full effect. Here's the entire goal. Yell less. There's so much to unpack with that goal. Yell less is a parenting goal. I, I, I will tell you that that is a worthy goal. Yell less is a worthy goal of parenting, but uh, that that makes the top eight for this list is I think instructive. I, I then searched on the internet for goals for children, and I came upon a list from Edgewood Preschool Co-op in Indianapolis. And it lists goals for both the children and uh, at their preschool, but also for the parents. And here's what the goals for children are, at least some of them, from uh, this Edgewood Preschool in Indianapolis. Number one, uh, interact and get along socially with peers. Yeah, that's, that's understandable. Develop strong, good self-concepts which hold well into elementary school years. That's great. Uh, develop self-control. We want to see that developed. Uh, become aware of others' feelings. Here's one I didn't expect to find on a preschool list. Cope with stressful situations. It's preschool. How many stressful situations do you have? I, I'm really terribly insensitive, I suppose. I, I'm sure going to preschool is, is a very stressful thing. Develop physical skills, have a sense of self-satisfaction with their individualism and feelings of self-respect. You get the idea. These are the, the things that ends with have a good, relaxing, loving, happy time in a growing and helping environment. You can almost hear the unicorns uh, flying overhead. <laughs> with such things. Here's the goals they list for their parents. Number one, learn patient discipline in loving and gen gentle ways. That's good. 
uh, understand the development of our preschoolers, realize the capabilities and limitations of two, three, four, and five-year-olds. There's a lot to unpack right there that made that parenting bullet become uh, on that list. Become aware of our own potentials. Be accepting of all children just as they are. Here's the rainbows following after the unicorns. Uh, develop new friendships and accept responsibility. These are listed for parents, by the way. Develop new friendships and become acceptive of responsibility. And here's the last goal that they have for the parents at Edgewood Preschool Co-op in Indianapolis, Indiana. Become a better parent. Your preschool wants you to become a better parent. That's, whew, well... I think we could all learn a lot from Edgewood Preschool Co-op in Indianapolis, Indiana. We want our kids to develop uh, physical skills and be happy with new friends. We want them certainly to be able to cope with stressful circumstances and situations that they may find themselves in. And maybe on our own list of self-improvement and development, the one thing that never quite gets checked off on our to-do list is become a better parent. Goals are worthwhile things, and I suspect some of us spend meticulous hours setting goals for each and every day. Others of us just sort of float through life, taking the day as it comes to you. And the same seems true, I would suspect, with with parenting as well. There are type A overachieving parents who carve out regular time to make lists of goals for their parenting. I would imagine there's at least uh, one person in this room who actually has an actual checklist of goals that they have to check off in this regard. I know there's at least one parent in this room that has a a list of such things. And before you laugh too much, I think that's very laudable. It just doesn't happen to be what all of us happen to do. Uh, Goal setting is a good thing in both the short and the long-term sense. We need motivation in our own parenting, but we also need to have our children be motivated towards something. Goal setting is is a good thing. Uh, But it's not the ultimate thing. And I actually, I wonder whether we have a tendency to give our parenting energy to what we might call worthy secondary goals. Right? They're, they're worthwhile, they are goals, but perhaps they are kind of in that category of being second from the primary things that are more important for us. These are worthwhile goals. We, if we achieve them in our children, we're going to be, we're going to be pleased. Uh, perhaps others will be impressed. Maybe life is a little bit more enjoyable with less rancor in our lives and in the lives of our children. They've learned how, of course, to deal with stressful situations at an early age, right, if we've set these goals for them. And we'll perhaps have more happy times for our kids if we achieve these goals. And perhaps uh, we have an emphasis on on a variety of of goals that, that again, I think are worthwhile. They're worthy goals, but I think they ultimately become secondary goals if we think about them. Think through a couple of the goals that you may have in your own mind for your kids if you've not taken the time to actually put them on a to-do list like uh, many reasonable people will not have done. we, We may want our kids to be active in something, right? Whether that's the arts or scouts or athletics, we, we, want to, we want to have our kids involved in stuff to learn skills. And so we order our calendar around such things. Look, I, I know of which I speak. Yesterday, I told you that Zach and Rachel uh, made the decision to come uh, sit in cold weather and watch a baseball game with me. That was just the beginning of my day. I, I spent the day yesterday driving 96 miles to watch a baseball game, a basketball game, a baseball practice, another basketball game, and that was just with three of my kids. If I had followed the fourth one, it would have been well over 100 miles to go in time to watch his track meet, but that was at the same time as the basketball game. So like, I get the idea of activities. I get that very, very well. It's clearly on my mind. It's partly why I'm, I'm hyped up on caffeine at the moment. Uh, it's, it's a reality. We, we clearly have invested ourselves in athletics as an activity, and, and we're also very acutely aware 
of what such goals are instructing, if we were going to have them involved in activities, well, that's, that's teaching our, our, the hearts of our kids. Uh, every activity has a leader of some sort, a scoutmaster, a conductor, uh, a coach. Every activity leader has a worldview by which they operate, and not, out of, not all of those worldviews are consistent with the biblical values that we want to be instilling in the hearts of our kids and at the center of our homes. Active children are beneficial. I think there's great value in athletics especially. But is this the chief end for them? Probably not. Uh, we may want a second category of well-adjusted children, right? And so parents will turn to Google or they'll go to the pop psychology section of the local bookstore. Uh, we may even turn to well-meaning Christian authors with Christianized pop psychology to provide them some good guidance on modifying the behavior of their children or, or training them to be well-adjusted people. Whatever the psychological resource we choose, achieving well-adjusted children is of great benefit. I think that's an important thing. It, it yields the benefit of having children that can evaluate the world around them and navigate whatever social situation they might ru uh, run into. There's, there's value and having well-adjusted children. Here's one you won't expect to be on my list here. Uh, we, have, we may have a goal of having our children saved, right? And again, that's, that's weird to say in what is clearly a kind of foreshadowing section of a lesson that we're going to unpack later on. It's a setup list, like don't do it this way, and we're going to explain why later on in the lesson, right? But I think nonetheless, if we, we stop and examine it, sometimes this would become true in our lives. Whether we put it on an actual to-do list or not, I'd be surprised if there's not at least a little part of each of us that hope to help lead our kids to salvation. And that's really important, but I think if we're honest, I suspect we'd find that at least a very small part of what's motivating that desire to see our children become saved is that uh, we expect better behavior from regenerate children over unregenerate children. Again, worthy goal. Really beneficial goal. Uh, we know that's not true, that they would be better behaved if they're unregenerate versus regenerate or regenerate versus unregenerate. But even if they were, our parenting of a child is not over the moment they pray the sinner's prayer. It doesn't really change our responsibility towards our kids. In fact, the saying of the sinner's prayer may be a lovely benefit and a wonderful benefit that we may have with our kids. Uh, but it's certainly not the end of the discussion on the issue of parenting, especially if we're going to be biblical parents. So stick with the, the Christianizing theme for a moment. Many parents will also have the goal of regular family worship. Look, I think this is a very good goal to have, daily family worship as a goal. In fact, I think it's something that's so important of a practice, we're going to devote an entire lesson on it, at least one entire Sunday in future lessons on the goal of, or the practice of family worship. But I think there are many that are at least tempted to treat family worship legalistically. Right. Uh, if you add the reading of the Bible with a dash of prayer and some praise mixed in, put a little of uh, the spice of your favorite catechism, and out pops a delicious uh, Christian child. Right. I mean, this is a, this is a goal of ours that we can really become me 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 mechanical and legalistic about if we're not very careful. Again, don't get me wrong. I, I think family worship is extremely important in the lives of a family and one of the prime duties of a parent. But there's <laughs> Merely checking the box of doing family worship is no substitute for true spirituality in the heart of our kids. <clears throat> so that's one goal I think we have to be careful about. Another one, and I think one of the last ones, how about well-behaved children? Anybody want well-behaved children? Is that, is that on your, your to-do list? 
you were the only one that was honest enough to put your hand up. Everybody else is like, no, I, mean, I want to be more spiritual than that. But of course you want well-behaved kids. We all want well-behaved kids, right? I mean, that's, that's one of our goals as a parent. We don't want these little hellions running around and you know, destroying things in our home or in someone else's home. I know it's on my list of parenting goals. I want to have well-behaved, obedient children. And for all of you other liars out there, I mean, you, <coughs> it should be on your list as well. And, and perhaps it's on your list like it's on my list for justifiable and good reasons. Maybe you want them to grow up to be respectable adults who can go to the latest cocktail party and discuss Shakespeare and unpack the periodic table of the elements that, uh, in, in front of the Prince of Abu Dhabi at this cocktail reception attended by the, the Grantham people from Downton Abbey, right? I mean, this is, these are all good things for us to have, uh, and it's beneficial for us to have these things. Or, or maybe, maybe, just maybe, it could be that you just don't want to be embarrassed, right, by not well-behaved kids, right? Maybe others will think well of us if we could just survive, you know, just one dinner of mixed company of friends from church or the boss and his wife without our kids burping at the table, telling an embarrassing story about us, or here's one of my favorites that happened to us and was not my kid, walking into the dining room from the bathroom with the kids' pants around their ankles yelling loudly, requesting that, will you wipe my hiney? That actually happened. It was not my kid. It was when I was a kid, but... I can just imagine the sheer embarrassment that the parents had in that moment. I, I've laughed about it since I was a kid, but I cannot imagine as a parent how deeply embarrassed I would be with my kid walking into the dining room. Will you wipe my hind? It's, I can still see it in my mind's eye. Well-behaved children are a very worthy benefit, a good goal to have, but perhaps we care too much about what others think about our parenting, about us, about our kids, and not enough about what God thinks of our children. We could also want to have well-educated kids. This is sort of an outgrowth of having well-behaved kids. For many of us, that is kind of a transactional issue. You know, if they're well-educated, they're going to be successful. Education equals success. If only my kid could get into the right college, he'd have the right career, then not only will his life be good, but others will be impressed that I raised such a scholar, and they'd be happy with him as well. Well-educated, obedient, spiritual, well-adjusted children are a lovely benefit. But those character traits as good as they are, are not the primary goal. As Ted, Tripp's, Ted Tripp puts it in the book that we've kind of used as our guide here, Shepherding a Child's Heart, uh, he puts it this way, people will respond well to a child who obeys, but you cannot make that secondary benefit of obedience the primary reason for obeying. If our focus as parents is entirely upon these secondary benefits, if as beneficial as these secondary benefits are and may be, we risk teaching our children that their chief end is not glorifying God forever, but is something other than glorifying God and enjoying him forever. It is something that is, they are worshiping something, but it may not be the thing that they ought to be worshiping, the primary goal of their, of their childhood. Ted Tripp explains it more this way. He says, how do we do this? Well, we pander to their desires and wishes. We teach them to find their soul's delight in going places and doing things. We attempt to satisfy their lust for excitement. We fill their young lives with distractions from God. We give them material things and take delight in their, in their delight in possessions. Uh, we then hope that somewhere down the line they will see that a life worth living is found only in knowing and serving God. In terms of Godward orientation, we are training them in the idolatry of materialism. That hits kind of kind of close to home. At least it does for me. Maybe you're much better than I am. His brother, Paul David Tripp, says it this way. He says, uh, there is a daily war. A daily war is being fought on the turf of the hearts of your children. It's a war for control. 
Will the heart of your child be controlled by the love of the Creator, for the Creator, what he calls worship, or be craving something in the creation, what we call idolatry? That's the war that's going on in the heart of our children as much as it's going on in the heart of you and me. Will we be motivated, be controlled by the love of the Creator, for the Creator? Will we worship the Creator or will we worship the creation? Our goal as parents is not to engage in behavior modification or enlist our kids in a never-ending list of activities or believe actively or even passively that if we do just enough spiritual things, that's going to be enough to turn out a functional, God-loving adult. Rather, our goal in parenting is to help our little sinners become our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, our goal, this is a heavy thing, our goal is to mirror the work of God the Father toward us. That's our goal. Turning our little sinners into our brothers and sisters in Christ, mirroring the work of God the Father in our lives, as we work in the lives of our children. That is to say, just as God works to reorient our worship through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the means of grace that he's placed in our lives, so too must we work to shepherd the heart of our children. Here's what Paul David Tripp says. He says, your children, you, your children don't understand the connection that the Bible makes between character and worship. It's your job to unfold deep mysteries of the universe to your children, to make connections for them, they're not only insight-giving, but life-transforming as well. They need you to do more than announce failure, instill guilt, teach a consequence, uh, and walk away. These parenting moments are moments of grace. God is revealing to you what your children don't see and don't understand so that you can show it to them so that the Spirit of God can work concern, conviction, and confession into their hearts. Parents, you've got an awesome responsibility. To unpack, as he says, the the um, where does he say the, the the deep meaning of the universe, right? The mysteries of the universe to your children, to un, unfold the deep mysteries of the, of the universe to the children, and not just like Carl Sagan types of deep meanings of the universe, but the eternal consequences of the meanings of the universe. That's what you've been entrusted with. The opportunity to unpack for our children the deep truths of God, the corruption of sin, and the only means of avoiding the coming righteous judgment of our God. These are not reserved just for big, life-altering decisions like where am I going to go to college and whether I should, uh, you know, who I'm going to marry and whether I should, what career to have or not to have. As parents, as Christian, biblically faithful Christian parents, we must seize the opportunities. Remember this from our first, first lesson? As we walk along the way, as we lie down, as we rise in the morning, as we sit around the house, we are developing the character of our children by reorienting their worship off of what their heart naturally wants to be inclined towards. That is to say, we have one really, really only one goal in parenting, building godly character in our children by reorienting their hearts in, of worship. Let's turn to Romans 1. Pick out your Bibles for me. I've got the two greatest sounds about to happen here. Wait, we, we've, we hear our kids. I love our kids in our church. And my second favorite sound is the flipping of Bibles here. It doesn't help if you're on your phone to do that. I, I get that. So tap a little louder, but uh, get, let's make sure we get our, our pages open because that's one of our greatest sounds that we have as people of the book. 
We spent a lot of time in the last four weeks discussing how we must shepherd the heart of our children, or that we must shepherd the heart of our children. We've looked at various uh, verses that support the notion that the heart is deceitful and deceptive and wicked and something that unchanged naturally guides our children towards sin. It's important to remember, though, that the heart is not something that is just merely passive. Uh, just like the human heart uh, animates our very being, it drives the, the life force of blood through our veins, so too the moral heart animates our behavior. It drives us to worship, uh, to set our affection on something. And that is happening in the heart of our children every bit as much as it is happening in the hearts of uh, my heart and in your heart. Even after our divine heart operation, of which uh, the cancer, uh, uh, the, where God operates upon us to remove that stony heart and give us a heart of flesh and puts his spirit inside of us to make us obey all that he commands, even still we have the after effects of the cancer of the fall upon our heart. We have the catastrophic effect of, of the, this, <coughs> excuse me, this human sinfulness that, that is upon our hearts, and it orients us away from Christ. You know this based upon your own experience. Before Christ, our lives were marked by sinful behavior. And maybe for you, that was rather simplistic, sinful behavior. Uh, you told white lies. You, you were disobedient to your parents on, on minor things. You snuck out at night and whatever. Maybe there were other things that were much more uh, catastrophic in terms of your, your sinful testimony, right? I mean, maybe you snuck out at night and went to some wild parties. I, I don't know what your testimony is, and I'm not here to pass judgment on that. Uh, but we know what our sinful behavior actually has been before we were transformed by the life-altering work of Christ upon our lives. We know what that was. But since Christ, have you stopped sinning? I mean, are you completely free from the grip of sin? No, of course not. Uh, the Holy Spirit's guidance, uh, through that Holy Spirit's guidance, we're, we're certainly now moved to repent of our sinful behavior, and we're motivated to grow more and more like Christ, but we're not absent, we're not free from that pull of sin upon our lives. That's the vestige of that sin, sinful cancer in our lives. We are less sinful in our daily activities than we were before Christ, but we are no less sinners who continue to sin and are in daily need of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Over time, this constant awareness of our sin, the confession of it, the pursuing of the means of grace in our lives, I hope has made us more and more like Christ. I suspect in your life that is true. But we're not yet as we should be. But we're far from where we started. We're less like our old selves and more like our elder brother, Jesus. And that's a good thing. The means of grace have worked in our lives. But folks, whether that's true for you and how great that is true for you, it is true for our children as well. Unchecked and undisciplined, their hearts will worship anything but their creator. And in fact, the natural state of the heart, we have to grasp this truth, the natural state of the heart is to suppress the truth of God. And that's what brings us to Romans 1. Now, Romans 1 is pretty heavy for a parenting class. I recognize that. And I think the, uh, we've got to be a little bit careful about our application of this. I, I don't mean to, to suggest that our, our little angels are so actively suppressing the truth and unrighteousness that they're engaging in all the behavior that's listed here. But I will warn you, that left unchecked, that's where the human heart goes. And that's what we're after in this passage. Go Look at verse 18 with me. Romans 1, verse 18. We're going to read through uh, verse 25 and skip around a little bit here too. But I'll, I'll stop in the middle and make some comments. Let's, let's start at verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let's pause right there. We know a few things from what we've read already, right? That uh, uh, most especially that every human, young and old, is without excuse. Uh, they're without excuse for their unrighteous condition. Uh, God has made it manifestly known that they are unrighteous and that he is righteous. There's a lot to unpack in there, but that's the summary of it. More specifically, in our fallen state, we are yet given the common grace of God. He's revealed himself to you and enough to know that you are a sinner in need of repentance. His invisible attributes are not only made manifest to us, but even to the ungodly and the unrighteous. The truth of their sin and the righteousness of God is, this is what Paul says, clearly perceived. And clearly perceived not just by those who have the Holy Spirit, but by those who reject and war against the Holy Spirit. They are without excuse. This righteousness of God is clearly perceived to them. Still, the sinful heart rejects these things. It actively rejects the truth of God by suppression. It actively suppresses the righteousness of God. That is to say, we are not merely passive sinners born with a sinful condition, but our unregenerate hearts has as its primary activity the suppression of the truth of God. And so we exchange the truth of the glory of the immortal God for images. We manufacture idols of, in the face of a righteous God. This is our natural heart, and we cannot forget, we cannot be ignorant of the fact that it is the default setting of our children from the womb. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And I love how Paul just throws this exclamation in there. Amen. Don't miss this last part of these two verses here, right? Uh, we we kind of get shocked by the first part of that. If you, if you studied this passage before, you've uh, you've settled uh, your attention on that part about giving them up to the lusts of their heart and all the terrible things that comes with it. That's a worthy study. That's not what we're about today. I want to draw your attention to what happens after that exchange. What happens after we exchange this, uh, the, 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 um, the uh, truth of God for a lie. That, that exchange happens. There's something that occurs after that. What happens after we actively reject the truth of God and grasp hold of the lie instead? Well, what happens, you would think that the unrighteous would simply just go on being, you know, on their merry way. They're unrighteous. They're living their truth, as it's said. They're enjoying a purely amoral life without any need for feeling a sense of consequence. They're disconnected from religion and spirituality entirely. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that the first act of the unrighteous after the deceitful, suppressive exchange is worship and service. Worship and service of what? It's not that our hearts, uh, what is it that our hearts worship and serve? They serve the creature rather than the creator. So 
We have to conclude from what Paul is telling us here that uh, we, like our children, are not merely passive recipients of Adam's sin, although we are recipients of Adam's sin, and we have no choice in the reception of that sin. But in our unrighteous condition, in the unrighteous state of your children, our natural tendency is to be active in our sin churning out new idols wherever we may have the opportunity to produce them, and those opportunities are aplenty around us. What, what results from this, what results from this active suppression of unrighteousness is many of the character traits you see in our, your children today. Look at, look at verse 29 of Romans 1. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That could cover it right there, but Paul doesn't leave us there with all manner of unrighteousness. He actually breaks it down for us in, in specific form. He says, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, ha, ah, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, they know, they, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. When we worship the creature rather than the creator, we develop character in keeping with what we worship. The character developed through idolatry is evident. It's all manner of unrighteousness, Paul says. Do you, do you routinely deal? I mean, this is not for hands raised here, but just contemplating your heart. Do you routinely deal with your children wanting to have what someone else has? Well, that's called covetousness. Uh, are your siblings often jealous of the other? I mean, that doesn't happen in my family at all. <laughs> no, of course it does. That conflict stems from what we call envy. That's a heart condition. It's a heart characteristic. How many arguments about stupid stuff break out every day between your children? I mean, stupid stuff, right? I remember we would go to Costco, and I was too cheap to buy everybody a drink at Costco. So I'd buy you know, enough for the boys to share, one, you know, one drink per two, right? There was an unlimited supply of Costco Pepsi. They could, they could push the button and just have it directly pour into their mouths. They would never run out. Their, their guts would bust. But my kids would argue like it was the end of the universe if someone got Sierra Mist and not Pepsi. It was insane. And of course, they should be drinking Coke, but that's a whole different issue. <laughs> but they would get so upset that someone was having more in that cup than they were getting. And I would say, there was an endless supply right here. You're seeing, and as I was seeing there, there is, and I know it's a silly thing about Pepsi and Sprite, and all, or Pepsi and Sierra Mist, but we're seeing strife in the hearts of our kids. They want to strive against each other. That, that heart drives them to that very thing. Well, how about honesty? Are, are your children less than honest with you? Well, we call that deceit. Uh, have you seen your children tempted to talk negatively about someone to someone else? Gossip. How about a rude, arrogant lack of respect as a part of your children's lives? For those of you who have not yet arrived at the teenage years, that's coming, if you haven't seen this yet. But this rude, arrogant lack of respect, well, that's the character trait of insolence and haughtiness manifesting itself from that sinful heart. Here's one I see most regularly, the lack of good sense and judgment, what we just simply call foolishness. How much of your parenting life is spent addressing the heart of a fool? So so much foolishness. That's the natural active state of our unrighteous hearts. 
This is why parenting goals that focus upon these secondary benefits, as good as those secondary benefits must, must be and are, they're going to miss the mark. And you're going to constantly have to address and come up with new ways to get at addressing these behaviors or meeting those goals. We may have well-behaved, well-educated, well-adjusted participants of family worship, but if there is no heart change, they are still idolaters who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Paul David Tripp says. He's smarter than I am and has a better mustache than I do. So he must be more authoritative. He says this, that the character issues in the lives of your children exist, not just because they want bad things, but because they become enslaved to good things. You see, a desire for even a good thing really does become a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. Even our most beneficial goals and character traits that we want to see in our children can become a ruling thing in the lives of our kids if we don't address the heart that's underneath of it. Goal setting must be exchanged for character development through the reorientation of what our children worship. That's how we arrive at the primary thing. Flip over in your Bibles to Galatians 5 for me. Uh, Galatians 5, which is just a few chapters away from Romans 1. Uh, Romans 1 points to the characteristics of those who worship the creature over the creator, uh, as he calls it. But in Galatians 5, Paul is going to refer to this as the desires of the flesh. Uh, like in Romans 1, Paul negatively defines for us the traits of idolatry, and then he gives us these positive Holy Spirit-wrought traits that we are to develop in our own lives, and guess what? In the lives of our children as well. Look at, look at Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Paul says there's an active battle. Here's a battlefield of the heart, guys. In the heart uh, battle that's going on, the, the, there are those who are growing like uh, the want to grow into the image of Christ. The active default tendency of the heart, though is to satisfy the desires of the flesh. So at war with the desires of the flesh is the leading of the Spirit of God, which is a good thing. We want to have that, that kind of contrast and, and, and conflict that's there. But what is this contrast? Well, look at verse 19. He says, Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Am I talking too fast? You can read fast enough, right? Envy, drunkenness, or orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Look, I really hope that none of your children are marked by lives of sorcery, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. And if that's the case, let's have a different discussion because I don't know what's going on in your house to develop these kinds of things. But I don't think that's probably the case that we're, we're, we're driven by those things, at least not yet. But I think the rest of the works of the flesh are fairly easy to spot in our kids, aren't they? Enmity, strife, we talked about that already. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all those things are, are nat the natural character of our children. And we see them on display in technicolor every single day of our lives. And if we leave them unchecked, they certainly grow into worse character traits, things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and, and all the other terrible things that would deny any inheritance for our kids in the kingdom of God. 
the natural progression of sin is never toward holiness or towards more holiness. The natural progression of sin, unchecked by the Spirit of God, will only slide downward into a more debauched character. As we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, we need more dirt to be able to bury, to be able to suppress the truth of God and our unrighteousness. We never slide towards holiness. To combat that idolatry, uh, that idolatrous heart, we're called to instill, to to cultivate in our lives and in the lives of our kids the fruits of the Spirit of God. That's what we're called to cultivate. I use the term cultivate for a specific reason. If you're at all familiar with gardening, then I am by no means a green thumb. But the idea of, of gardening requires cultivation. You can put a seed in the ground and hope that it'll grow. But if you want it to be maximally efficient, you're going to have to toil, uh, toil the soil. You're going to have to till it. Get oxygen into it. Get nutrients in that soil. You're going to have to remove weeds around it. You're going to have to provide cover over top of it. You may have to direct water towards it. You're going to have to cultivate it. It takes time for the garden to bloom, to grow into something great. It takes effort for that kind of thing. It takes a cultivation. Well, the same is true with our kids. We don't just automatically have, we just put the, the, the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit in their hearts and say, well, good luck. Hope that turns out. No, you've got to cultivate that in their hearts. These are the character traits that matter. These are the primary goals. These, these, spiritual, these uh, fruits of the Spirit, these are the primary goals of parenting. They may yield, ultimately, positive secondary benefits, but our goal is not merely obedient ch- children with well-combed hair, or in my case, fully shaved heads, uh, sitting quietly reading French poetry. That's not the goal of, of, our, of our parenting. Those are lovely secondary benefits. But the primary goal that we have is the shaping of their character toward the fruits of the Spirit. That's the primary goal we have as parents. It's God's job, ultimately, to change their hearts, to change their stony hearts of flesh that beat for obedience, uh, two hearts of flesh that beat in obedience to God's law. But it's no less our responsibility as individuals for ourselves, but also as parents towards our children, to work upon their hearts the goals of the Spirit of God. Ted Tripp puts it this way, It is our task to faithfully teach our children the ways of God. It is the Holy Spirit's task to work through the Word of God to change their hearts. That's a wonderful cooperation we have. So let's revisit those goals we had at the beginning. Uh, the goals we walked through earlier, should we have uh, as a goal of the development of our uh, of special skills for the, through myriad activities for our kids? Sure. But that sure takes on a different focus, right? If the primary goal is something other than being fleet of foot, uh, being able to, to dance in a recital well, being able to lead a scout troop, whatever those things are, as beneficial as they are, they're going to take on a whole different focus if our goal is not that secondary benefit, but the primary goal of our children stewarding the bodies, the minds, the talents that they have that God has given to them. Uh, we, we were, we're shifting, reorienting the worship of our hearts, in, even in that. The goal of having well-adjusted children takes the focus off of, of Google and the self-help section of the local bookstore and refocuses it upon the instruction of what Scripture tells us to be, to be about. Uh, how do our children, for instance, respond to a bully? Well, as but one example, we guide our children to follow the instruction of Proverbs 26.4. Answer not a fool according to his father, lest you be like him yourself. That's in stark contrast to the, the general worldly advice of, you know, if you've got a fight that starts, you know, you don't start it, but finish it, right? The, the, those are laudable goals, but the primary goal is not to be a fool yourself. 
How about the goal of having a child that is saved? That's a really worthwhile goal. I want that for all of our children in this room. But it's not a one-and-done proposition. It never should be. It's a secondary benefit, albeit a really important secondary benefit, of achieving the character of someone whose life is marked by repentance and faith, of daily denying themselves and becoming more and more like Christ every single day. We, we don't arrive at holiness and godliness with one sinner's prayer. Neither do our children. The, the Christian life uh, may be initiated in a moment of repentance and faith, but we do not leave them there at the altar of salvation. Rather, repentance and faith are the daily attitudes of the heart of the Christian. And we're inculcating that. We're cultivating that in our children. They won't do it by themselves. They have to be taught that. They have to have that cultivated in them. The goal of family worship. How about that one? Great goal. Wonderful goal to have. But it is still a secondary goal to a family that knows God and knows him intimately. The myriad positive benefits, and there are a lot of wonderful benefits towards uh, family worship. All that they provide are but the means to an end of a family that knows and deeply loves God. Well-behaved children, that's another one of our goals we went through. Well, that becomes a secondary benefit to the primary goal of children who behave in a way that expresses biblical love towards others. And while we're, we would all love to have these well-educated kids who can navigate Pythagoras as easily as they can, Dr. Seuss, the primary goal ought to be a life of faithfulness with the gifts and abilities that are, have been given to our kid by God. When we view as our goal the shaping of character by the reorienting of what our children worship, what we emphasize as parents in our daily routines, in our daily activities, the choices we make and what we're going to be involved in and what we're not going to be involved in, they become all the more clear. We're reorienting the heart of what our kids worship. And at the same time, we're not feeding the heart of what our kids worship. Look, I, I can, I'm going to just guess and I can sort of feel that in the room there are some anxious hearts. So what does this kind of mean in our lives? When we start making goals for our children, even primary ones are, are, that we're called to seek after, according to the Scripture, we, we can become anxious. How are we going to do this? Like, there's a heftiness that's involved here, right? There's a lot of responsibility that's provided to us as parents. And that, that, that yoke can become really heavy on our backs. I want you to know, Mom and Dad, though, this, this, is, this parenting thing is not a sprint. It's a marathon. We're not called to develop all those fruits of the Spirit overnight with our kids. That's not going to happen. The development of good character in your children is meant to be progressive. And I use that in the best sense of that term. I don't like, not in the political sense of that term, right? Our, our, our goal in the development of good character in our kids is meant to be progressive, developing over time through faithful attention to the heart needs of our children. Just like that seed that's in the ground, we make sure the field is, or the ground is fertile, the weeds are outside of it, that the, the pests are kept away from it, that it gets enough water and enough sunlight. So too, over time, we're paying faithful attention to the heart needs of our children. And just as God progressively shapes your heart over time into the image of the living God, so too must you follow the example of God, who I think not ironically we call God the Father. We follow his example of how he shapes us in, in, in our character. Uh, this is a really pastoral comfort I think we get from Paul David Tripp, and it's a long quote, but it, it, I think you'll understand why it, it, it's so good to quote the entire thing. Listen carefully to what Paul David Tripp says about this, this concept of God the Father working in your life and what that means and the consequence it has for you as a parent. He says this, Think of how God works in your life. 
He is not content with just forgiving you for your sin. Having forgiven you, he is zealously committed to transforming you. He doesn't just target those intentionally rebellious moments. He works on the character of your heart as well, so that you progressively become what he designed you to be. Because he is committed to character change, your Lord goes after the idols of your heart, and he will not rest until every thought, every desire, choice, word, and action is fully rooted in the worship of him. You and I are still blessed every day with this fatherly, his fatherly care because the war of worship still rages in our hearts. Now, God calls you to do with your children what he graciously does with you every day. Help your children understand and own what rules their hearts. Help them see how what controls their hearts shapes how they respond to people and situations. Make the character worship connection again and again, and if necessary, again and again and again and again for them. And as you do, remember that you are functioning as a tool in the hands of one, that's a capital O, in the hands of one who has the willingness and power to free the hearts of your children from what has captured them and in freeing them, implant new character in their hearts. The burdens and the blessings of parenting, it's this, that we will see through the often impatient daily rooting out of the sinful character of our children, that that cultivating work we do in the hearts of our kids, we'll also see the patient rooting out of our own sinful character, that cultivation that God does in us with his loving hand, that God the Father cultivates in our lives through these fruits of the Spirit. We see that in our own parenting. So I'm going to leave you with this. Learn from the one that we call Abba, Abba Father, as he cultivates in you the fruits of the Spirit that will make you more like him, then turn to your children to guide their hearts away from worshiping the creature and toward worshiping the creator instead. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can come to you and call you Father. That in all the things you have said, you, are, you have experienced as in your earthly ministry here, that there is no temptation that is common to man, but that you have not uh, experienced. Father, we are grateful that that would include parenting somehow. That you would understand the heart motivations inside of all that and all the temptations that come with it. Above all, Father, you understand the heart of man and you understand its deceitfulness. And you understand that it, it slides never towards holiness, but it slides away from it. And that it has this tendency to suppress actively the truth that you have revealed in unrighteousness. And so, Father, we ask for ourselves that you would continue to cultivate in our hearts a desire to become more and more like Christ, that you would cultivate the fruits of the Spirit in our hearts and that we would have lives marked more by the fruits of the Spirit and less by the the desires of the flesh. So, Father, root out those desires of the flesh in our own hearts that we'd be more like you. And as as we receive the comforting work of the hand of the Holy Spirit, of God the Father in our hearts, as you cultivate in us the fruits of the Spirit, may that not end on us, but may it then extend to our children first that we would cultivate in them the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control and respect. Father, we pray that we would see that we would see abundant and evident fruit in their lives. God, it gives great motivation to the farmer to see fruit coming from his, his uh, crop. Let it then also give us great motivation 
Would you allow us to see that motivation and seeing fruit in our children's lives that we would be motivated to plant the next harvest and to cultivate that next field so that they would grow more and more like Christ? At the end of the day, Father, we will labor in in the fields. We will work diligently because you've called us to do so. But we pray, God, that you would yield the harvest in our children, that their hearts would be made more like you, not because we're so good at this parenting thing, but because you are a great and magnificent and all-encompassing God the Father who who desires more people to be more like the image of our elder brother of Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit, bless our work as parents. Let it not terminate on us as parents, your good grace, but let it extend to our children also. Would you call them to repentance, and would you call them to a life of sanctification along with us? Thank you for giving us the privilege of working with you on that. And may we grow ourselves and our children to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.